and good evening, everyone. This is Kevin Finkel here with our 11th episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we discuss the Frontier format, keeping our listeners up to date with what's new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. I'm Matt Murday, a magic nerd and Frontier fanatic. And I'm Kevin Hanlon. I host the Untap Open League, and I grind on Frontier Weekly. All right, so guys, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from you a little bit. Be a little bit freeform this episode. Sky, Kevin, we haven't heard from you in a while. We had you uh, just for a little bit at the beginning of last episode, but... I haven't been playing much magic with you. You've been uh, out touring the country, and I want to know kind of what you've been playing, what's been going on in Frontier. So this episode, I'd like to talk between us three, kind of see what we've been testing for. I know that, Matt, you've got this weekend's tournament coming up. That'll be something big for you that I'm sure you've been preparing for. And then for me and Sky, you know, we've been really grinding for uh, the Untap Open League next season, so we've been trying to get our list together, which... As of the night that we're recording this, we're going to be locked. So I think that we're free to finally talk about what we're playing. Uh, so you know what you're playing then, Finkel? You're not going to be <laughs> counter-decking me if well, I talk about it? Okay, the, the, kind of where, I mean, I was going to come to this, but I'm kind of between maybe five decks, if that makes sense. And I was going to have you guys basically convince me not to play all the terrible ones. <laughs> so you want us to have you play no deck? <laughs> I'm probably locked on one deck here, but we'll <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the plan, Sky. We're just going to pick the worst deck and tell them that one's the best. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> just perfect. the, the right, jankiest deck. <laughs> uh, we should probably talk a little bit about the testing environment that sprang up in the Untap Open League as well, because I was actually really moved by everything that kind of happened. Yeah, I think that's something I definitely want to talk about. I think that a lot of the people who test for this have been getting into some great, I mean, we're not pro tour teams, but, you know, we're trying to do that same kind of simulation of keeping track of what we're testing, brewing as a team. And I think that's been working well, together pretty well. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about, let's talk about the paper tournament that Matt's getting to at, uh, at the new store. It's yeah, ANC games. games and that'll be November 18th this weekend, Saturday at noon. And it's a one K. So I, I certainly hope to see a good turnout. All right, so this might drop before then. If we're lucky, we might get it, you know, kind of just before that comes out. But uh, hopefully you guys have your decks already brewed from last week if you're a listener of ours. Yeah, so what's been working, Matt? What have you been trying out? I'm at a point where, like, the the last uh, Frontier League here, the UOL, I played a deck I didn't really like, and hmm. I really regretted it. So I'm just playing what I, what, what I want to play, what's fun right now, and that's my thing in the ice brew. Nice. But I've talked about it a few times, so it, it's, it's kind of... He's been promising it's coming up, so let's let's see let's see how it goes this weekend. Yeah, so I'm I'm playing that. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. I'm gonna beat Matt Mealing, which is the really important part. I don't really care about anything else, but Matt Mealing's got to go down. So, <laughs> all right. So, what are the good matchups with the thing in the ice deck that you think you're kind of targeting with it this weekend? So the big reason I actually originally wanted to brew this deck was because I think Thing in the Ice is actually deceptively good against aggro decks. Hmm. Uh, because it's it's kind of like a soft board wipe, right? And okay. it's just a two-mana 7-8, seven, 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 right? So it's it's huge, right? And a lot of these aggro decks are running, you know, three Fatal Push and a Murderous Cut, and that's all of their removal, right? Yeah, for a black-based one. Or if they're red, they're running often Lightning Strike Wild Slash. That has a hard time dealing with. Really exactly. hard time dealing with an 0-4, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it walls them off early, and then when it flips, they lose the game, basically. Uh, so from there, I kind of started thinking, what goes well into an, into this thing in the ice deck? And originally, I had landed on 
on uh, Enigma Drake, right? So I just wanted to be like a spell-based mm-hmm. deck and kind of go into this graveyard, this kind of graveyard sub-theme, uh, which ended up playing with a lot of the uh, Aftermath cards, like Claim to Fame, uh, Reduce to Rubble. So quick here, Enigma Drake, that's that one mono, one blue, one red, the X4 flying, that its power is equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard. Yeah, it's like the rehashed Spellbound Chimera, and it was really, really popular in blue-red spells during M and Cat block. Yeah, and I've actually dropped that since then in favor of uh, a few more Liliana, The Last Hope, and uh, Treasure Cruise, just because Treasure Cruise is so good. And so does that mean you're up? kind of all in on the plan of Thing of the Ice? Thing of the Ice and Liliana, right? And okay. being able to just grind them out with, like, uh, Jace Friends Prodigy and just Treasure Cruise being ridiculous, right? It, like, it's not uncommon for this deck to get off, like, three, four Treasure Cruises uh, in a match just because it can bounce it back with Jace. Ooh-wee. Yeah, so it's just... Treasure Cruise is a gross card is basically what this deck's all about in the in the mid and late game anyway. I mean, it's banned in every format that it would be legal in other than Frontier, so... <laughs> yeah. and, and the scary thing about Thing in the Ice and... Uh, these aftermath cards is for one, obviously you get the kind of double hit from your spells, right? So like these, these aftermath cards double triggered thing in the ice, but there's also little hidden synergy with, uh, in reduced to rubble where, uh, up to three target lands don't untap on their opponent's next turn. So if you flip thing in the ice with that, you bounce their board and now you've locked down all their land. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, the tempo swing is just disgusting. Yeah, so basically the idea, the the thing that makes that so great is that typically after a board wipe, your opponent is the first player who gets to set back up, right? And that is a little less the case with Thing in the Ice because you're left with a creature on the board afterward. And it's even less the case if you've flipped it with Reduce to Rubble because now they can cast less of their creatures. Ooh. And and being it and rebel being just three mana, also it's fairly easy to do that and then still hold up responses. And the great part is is like between having things like Claim to Fame and Colligon's Command, Liliana the Last Hope, it's not a big deal. Like you don't you don't just go, ah oh, darn, you know, they killed my thing in the ice, I lose now. It's fairly rare for you to actually really care because it's it's almost like a control deck. Really, in, in, in what it runs. So it's, it's a few of these aftermath cards, treasure cruise, strategic planning, and then just all of the Grixis removal package, basically, right? So you're looking at Fatal Push, K Command, uh, Lightning Strike, Murderous Cut, that kind of thing. Opt, obviously. Okay, so that's touching on, I kind of had two questions left about the deck. One is, what are some new additions that we're getting out of Ixalan? Uh, opt, obviously, and search for Ascanta. Oh, yeah, that's been big in it as well. Oh, man, Search for Escanta is so good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It really is, yeah. Uh, I don't run it. I'm not planning on running it for the Toronto tournament, actually, but this is is the same deck that I'm going to be running for the next UOL. Okay. Uh, So Search for Escanta is going to be in the UOL version, but it's not going to be in the Toronto version, just because Toronto is a lot more aggro-heavy, and the decks are a lot more, uh, I would say, tightly tuned, so there's just no room to dirtle. Uh, in this style of deck, because you'll just get killed by aggro. I think that makes a lot of sense. So probably, yeah. probably this weekend, I'm just going to switch out the search for Escanta for uh, Radiant Flames. 
All right. So the, uh, the other question I have about the deck, this one's really important is how is your dinosaurs matchup? <laughs> you know, I've been trying to beat Matt Meeling. <laughs> Who knows what he's going to bring out there? <laughs> I haven't actually had the chance to play against dinosaurs or like test against it because I don't know. Like I look at building a deck for it and I'm just like, well, I, I don't see how it could possibly be good. So <laughs> okay. The way, the way I see it is, is I have enough just like good removal, but I'm probably going to have no problem just spot killing everything. Uh, and number two is I don't see how that deck ever beats a flipped thing in the ice. Because all of its creatures are pretty mana intensive. So just recovering from a flip thing in the ice feels really hard. Yeah, it beats a Carnage Tyrant in combat. Takes a lot of setup. And bounces them. It does. It does. It's true. But I also have ways to just dirtle, right? Like, I'm basically a control deck. Only I have the advantage of not having to play Torrential Gearhawk. So I can run 21 lands, right? Sorry, I think you misunderstood. I mean that getting a dinosaur out on the battlefield, it all takes a lot of setup. <laughs> yeah, the better ones for sure. sure. But also it's... Uh, where was I going with that? Got distracted. Yeah, yeah, so it's a control deck, right? So so at its heart, you know, it does the things that Grixis Control does in general uh, with a, a little less Torrential Gear Hulk in the end game, but it kind of gets to make up for not having that extreme end game finisher. Uh, by just being leaner and having more threats in it, so I'm I'm top decking just a hell of a lot better than than you would see out of these control decks, typically speaking. So that's probably improving your aggro matchup is where you're thinking about it being better, whereas blue yeah. not doing traditionally all that well against aggro. Yeah, and this particular deck uh, is, suffers a little bit versus blue black control, uh, especially in uh, game one. I mean, this is the deck I have fun with, right? This is this is kind of my baby. I brewed it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun testing it. It's got a lot of like weird little paths to victory because there's so much graveyard interaction, so many options you have at any given time. So, so it's both hard to play, but also really rewarding. See, those are the best decks, like the ones that take you like a long time to learn how to use and reward you for understanding how they work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember, so, and, and this has been a thing that, like, has gotten to a lot of different players is that a deck needs to be fun for you to be able to play it well. You know what I mean? Like, I think about, like, Reed Duke's finish at the Magic 2014 World Championship and going into the tournament and selecting his green-white hexproof deck he was just excited that he got to play strategies that he wouldn't get to at a pro tour because there were only 16 players. So I, I think that we're all in this for the fun, right? Even all the way up to the platinum pro level, like we're all playing magic for fun. And so a deck has to be fun. All right. You're already pushing me in one direction here. All right. Awesome. Let's hear it. Oh, well, I, I was going to go a little bit more in the broad on kind of what we're expecting to see in this next season of UOL, if we want to move to that. You know, we already saw from one of Kevin's teammates had an article come out about some of the things he's expecting to see this next season, some of the big decks they were testing, and wasn't really anything innovative. I didn't see uh, anything that was like, oh, man, I wasn't thinking about that deck. You know, he was talking about the the blue-black axe control decks. Uh, My mic got disconnected and stopped recording. Oh, did it stop the actual recording? (laughs) It stopped, like, my actual physical recording. Um, All right, let's, let's hold for Zeph here. Yeah. Render what I have right now and then start over. Okay. okay that cool. makes sense. Give me a sec, guys. I know Zeph has something where we have to like keep talking or it'll cut off, I think. 
I don't know if so that's actually say, true. Same names of fruits, guys. That's usually um, a really great way to, way to fill time. Yeah, I'm not a really big fruit eating person. I've tried a bunch of weird fruits. I had a roommate that would just all the time be like, here, try this fruit. And I would try it. And I don't really like fruit. Oh, riveting stories. <laughs> riveting stories. Absolutely. Yeah, so I had this roommate <laughs> who liked eating fruits. Hey. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> An insightful glimpse into the life of Fink. <laughs> I've never really been much of a fruit guy, you know? <laughs> the Boston accent. Classy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got a... <laughs> I actually, I actually really like it as like a, a fink uh, mimicking. It, it's in my head. He now has the Boston accent. We'll bring it back. We'll bring it back for sure. For yeah. uh, for Kevin, anything east of like Texas is Boston. <laughs> yeah, I can, <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> All right, are you recording again? Yeah, I'm recording again. We're good to go. All right. So what I was starting to say is that. Let's take a little bit of thought about what we think we're going to see this season in the UOL, because I know that we already had an article come out from one of your teammates who's a part of this podcast. It's someone that you've been testing with, and he didn't have anything that was too exciting for me. He had a lot of kind of the expected decks on some of the things he's saying that they're testing, that they're expecting to be big. And, you know, it was the, the blue black X control decks, the Atarka red like decks, the Abzan aggro decks, kind of the same things we saw actually in our top eight this season. So, I don't know if we've gone over that on the show, so let's take a quick rundown of what finished top eight in our Swiss. Starting off, of course, with uh, with me and you. We uh, we were the two undefeated, both on a Bant Company kind of deck. Uh, we had three blue-black control decks. We had two kind of the Atarka red. One was a Shrapnel Mono red. One of them was a Dark Atarka, the green-black-red. And then we had an Abzan Aggro. So, I mean... When you think about it, that's not a big surprise. Those are some decks we've been saying for a while are really strong. Yeah, that's been our anticipated tier one for a really long time. I actually love what I'm seeing out of this, out of this top eight, mostly because Sahili's not in it. And even <laughs> though I even though I played Sahili last uh, this last league, I'm just I'm so happy to see that. I think the big thing is that blue black control is just such a hard matchup. So when the field, when, when blue black control is strong, it's really hard for Sahili to win. So Kevin, have you seen the same thing in testing for next season? Are you, are you thinking Sahili's kind of lying low? Should we, uh, put away some of our Sahili hate from our sideboards? So I, Sahili was the first deck I wanted to test again because like I noticed that a lot of things that people were looking at, like, oh, Sahili wasn't popular this, this season. So maybe I can try, you know, my four color mid range list. And I was like, ooh, baby, I'm (laughs) going to prey on you. You just, uh, you just wait and see. And I went, actually collectively, we were all testing Sahili and Sahili went, I think it was like two and eight. And I was just like, I I can't do this. I I can't play this deck. I so, I yeah. In defense of Sahili, Sahili is a fairly difficult deck to play. Like you need the reps to really oh, I have make a sure. lot of reps with Sahili. Yeah. Like four color right. Sahili was my deck for a really long time. So. Yeah, I remember Sky being like, I think of Sky and I think of Felidar Guardian. I, yeah. I do think I do think the blue black control lists are like probably like an eighty twenty matchup uh, in favor of blue black control though. So hmm. uh, I do think it's really hard, really hard for Sahili to beat blue black control. Yeah, Vraska's contempt and uh, search for Ascanta just really took that deck over the edge. Yeah, I think it's just the big thing for me is that 
Blue Black Control has kind of always had the strongest end game in the format, except for like maybe Emrakul. But I think I think Dig Through Time Gearhawk Dance is probably competitive with Emrakul. I would say uh, the same. I've yeah, seen like it just, for Emrakul. Yeah, I have too. I mean, sometimes Emrakul wins. Like it's fifty fifty. They're both broken end game cards, but uh, or broken end game plays. But I think the reality is just that. Blue Black Control has the strongest endgame in the format, and Vraska's Contempt lets it get there, right? There's no more, okay, you played a Gideon on turn four, I lose now. Yep. Yeah, most definitely. And, like, it allows you to make plays that make sense. Like, you don't have to hold mana up and let things resolve that you normally wouldn't want to let resolve just because there's the looming threat of Gideon around the corner. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Where'd it go? Uh, can I jump back in? Absolutely. All right. So the other deck that I kind of, the, the archetype really that I really want to think about is Coco. And specifically, let's talk Rally for a second there. So when I made my deck for this season, I kind of saw that, you know, Graveyard Hate had really been dropping out. That's why I think we saw Rally come back hard in Japan. It's why I did well with a, a graveyard based deck more than anything else this season. Are we still going to see that next season? Are we going to see some people bringing in more of that graveyard hate, expecting decks like Rally, something see, of that nature? The thing is, like, I don't think you actually need graveyard hate to beat Rally anymore. I don't think you do, but I do think that graveyard decks are going to be back. Yeah, I think I think that the lack of graveyard hate is a good thing because it's going to let more decks in the format. And I don't think these decks are actually inherently broken. I think, you know, I think these decks are just fine. Yeah, and you can fight these decks in a fair way without having to rely on the graveyard hate. So Okay, so, so that'll bring me to my first question. The first of the five decks I'm looking at. Why shouldn't I just run it back? If I went, uh, you know, we went under, I went undefeated this season. Deck felt great. Deck felt very consistent. Do you think that the format's going to be different, or do you think I'd do well if I ran the exact same 75 again? How did you I feel think- playing against my... Hold on, I'm going to jump in here. How did you feel playing against Bant Coco Humans? I thought that it was a it was a fifty fifty, and we ended up ending in a tie. Not intentionally. You were uh, you were on the road. We both won one game, and we just couldn't schedule the last one. I thought it was a fifty fifty as well. I thought that the player who ended up winning a given game was basically making the better skill call. Like, who if if you called their next play, then you won, mm-hmm. um, and if you held on to your responses, then it was correct. So, I think that. The big change that I expect in this metagame is, yes, there are going to be more graveyard-based decks, and with that, there are going to be other people preying on your graveyard with their Scarab Gods and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, also, a thing that's really going to be popular is Bant Humans. Hmm. Okay. I've been watching a lot of the other testing teams, which we'll talk about testing teams in a little bit, been watching a lot of other testing teams getting really, really hyped up about the deck that I played and just straight up ripping it off of me. So, like, <laughs> if if you're uncertain about your Bant Humans matchup, I would not pick a deck that isn't going to do well against Bant Humans. I think I agree with you, and I have one other reason why I'm probably off that deck, and that's the blue-black players. I think that the people who were playing blue-black control those were my easiest matchups. I beat like three blue black control and great players on my way to the, uh, the top four. But if they move into Grixis and they've got Kolagon's command, they're 
game one matchup becomes much better. Their game two and three matchup become a lot more manageable. And that's going to be a lot harder to do. It's not a free win like it wasn't for me right yeah, now. I, I've been saying this from the beginning. I think there's no reason not to be Grixis over just straight blue-black. I, I know a few Reddit users, or not Reddit users, uh, a few of the Untap Open League players have said that it's for mana reasons, but I think at three mana, or three col- three mana colors in your deck, and you're in a shard, I think you're fine. I agree about shard mana, especially with the check lands. And mm-hmm. I know that I tend to overrate check lands, but having just three in my deck this season felt like I had nothing to be scared of, like in terms of my lands coming in untapped. Hmm. Like they're just that tiny little extra edge. I think it's just the ability to run like 10 fetch lands that are, you know, eight or eight of them are on two of your colors. Mm-hmm. And you know, you always have, you can always run two fetch lands that hit one of your colors and you're, you're okay. Right. Any more than, yeah. Then two that only hit one, you kind of get awkward, but the ability to have 10 fetch lands, uh, both for like revolt, so like fatal push, that kind of thing, uh, and for just fetch lands are good. Everyone knows fetch lands are good, right? We're not surprised at this. Secrets out, guys. Turns out fetch lands are good. In, in wedges, or in, um, shards. I don't think they're great in wedges other than the one, uh, the allied color one. Yeah, yeah. They're not bad because you can't hit the critical mass for, to trigger revolt, right? So there's no reason to run like, four off-color fetches. It's kind of like I said, like, there's... Two is the limit for off-color fetches, and because you can't hit that critical mass of revolt triggering, the two doesn't really matter, right? The extra two doesn't matter in a uh, wedge uh, wedge type deck. I think that's something we've talked about and something we can talk about more on other shows. Let's move on to... Hey, why don't we we break the silence? Kevin, do you want to talk about what you ended up settling on, or do you want to still kind of throw a few decks that you were really big on? Um, well, yeah, so I can talk about what we've been testing, especially since, um, we have figured out our deck, just kind of fine tuning the last pieces. And you said that, sorry, uh, we should, we, yeah. So actually our wonderful, our wonderful producer, suggested that I talk about what I mean by we. So I should first talk about our testing climate. So when you and I intentionally draw drew, and then I went into the next week and defeated Somnus to take my King of the Hill spot, Mm -hmm. which was round five of six in our Swiss, I said, I said in our discord that now was the perfect time to be testing and thinking about what decks you want to play for your next season's submission. Because a month out is when I started testing for this upcoming upcoming tournament. And a month out is when I figured out what deck was correct for the format and what would break the meta and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And so I called out Rasmus, who goes by Mussy, and who also made Top Cut with me. And I said, hey, I would like you to be my testing partner for next season. And then this huge thing sprang up in our chat where it was like, all right, well, if we're making teams, then let's just formalize it. And so we ended up having these big testing groups that happened. And there are six testing teams right now. And when I say we, I'm referring to Team Blue Black, which is 
most of the group that ran blue black control, um, two members of our team reached top cut in season two with this blue black control list. And then, um, also myself and Katie Hansaker, who was the Abzan player in our top cut and who reached semifinals. And I think, yeah, so we've also got Seuss and then Taylor from the Cockatrice League ended up joining our team. And, uh, and then Thomas Snodgrass, who goes by NASCAR mm-hmm. Father. Or N.A. Scarf at her. Yeah, N.A. Scarf at her. Also, <laughs> all, all various names involving NASCAR. Yes. I haven't um, asked the, yeah. uh, the background before the, behind the NASCAR, but that's off topic. <laughs> so I actually forgot that I need to resubmit my deck. And uh, I'm not playing the thing in the ice list in the Untap Open League. So I'll have to, we'll have to revisit me too. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Cool, sounds great. So you guys tested quite a few lists. Um, another people, I I was also with the testing team. I had a couple people that I was, you know, I was testing with them a lot. We both had times that were good for us to test with and, uh, just people that I enjoyed working with. And I was also testing with a number of people that play on Cockatrice just because, you know, they're my buddies. I knew them a lot. So I, I was there with a lot of them testing as well. And I think quite a few of these teams, I don't know if every team is going to come with one list that they think is the best, but I think there's going to be a few people that are going to be on similar lists, and there's going to be some refined lists this season. Oh, yeah. It's going to be nice. This is going to be a lavish season. Um, so I just saw the list that you posted, and I've got to say, it's interesting that you made the read that you did. <laughs> yeah, and so I did post one of the ones that I'm probably most likely on. I don't want to... Since I haven't locked yet, I don't want to pretend like I'm metagaming here and, and make my decision after their thing, but I'll still talk about the other three or so that I'm interested in. Okay, cool. So the front runners for what we were going to run started out as being, I would say probably about a week and a half ago, it was in between four different lists. And those were Bant Collected Company, Abzan Agro, Jund, Jund Delirium, actually, and um, and also Esper Vehicles. All right. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 meme dream is alive, and uh, it 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 came up in like the the funniest way, where basically like Taylor from Cockatrice was like, "So what what what's the deal with the joke deck? Like, what's the story behind Esper Vehicles?" And we were like, well, like before season one, Mussy went undefeated with Esper vehicles and he kept bragging about it in the general chat. And so like we all made fun of him for bragging about it so much. And most of us were seriously testing it. And like he was like, well, we should blow the dust dust off of Esper vehicles because it sounds like a really exciting list. And I enjoyed it in standard and I want to like see if it, adapts to frontier very well. And I'm really excited of the concept of using reflector mages and it actually was our front runner up until the final two. Ooh. So, so I actually think it's really good right now because the reason you would go Esper and standard is for the counter spells, mm-hmm. which basically let you fight the control decks right at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing applies here, right? Cause right now we're kind of in the middle of the rise of, uh, blue black X control. So how do you fight that? And it, the answer is really with counter spells. 
Yeah, you really with tempo, want yeah. And with tempo plays, yeah. So lots of spell quellers, lots of reflector mages. It featured Thalia Mage, which is one of my favorite creature combos in the, the entire format right now. It's just so backbreaking for a lot of decks. And we were all super cozy on it and thinking about it. And yeah, uh, the other deck, like the deck that front ran right next to it and actually like had the best performance of all of our decks against the entire metagame and also things that we anticipated from the rest of the teams. Drumroll, please. Junt Delirium. Whew. Really? 60% win rate, win rate on Junt Delirium. It was unbelievable. Like so good. And that's Just actually, so good. that's actually what I settled on as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so great. <laughs> so like, all three of us might be on Jund here. But it's gonna it's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a lavish season. Alright, so when you're talking Jund, do you mean the very aggressive, starting off with Grim Flare, things like that? Maybe even the like the four or five demon. Are you talking the other end control where you've got you're trying to rush out Emmercole, you're trying to get those big plays like Ishkana? Or are you kinda of somewhere in the middle? Like I'm definitely somewhere in the middle where I'm just trying to trade one for one. Jund has some of the best removal in the format. And then I'm just playing very cheap, high-power threats, top-decking better than the opponent, similar to how Jund plays in Modern, really. Yeah, uh, so we went with the Hard Delirium strategy, but we don't run Grim Flayers. So we found that the best part of the Delirium strategy was actually walking Ballista and Mm -hmm. Liliana and uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers and Emrakul. So we have a large variety of wind conditions. Also the like a lot of our creatures in our deck can run away with the game. So like with Ishkana, if your opponent decides to stop interacting with your creatures, yeah sure I'll just tap out and hit you for four every turn. Like you know what I mean? So yeah. And so, you could And how about yeah how about you Matt? What what side of the Jund train are you on? Uh, Turbo Emrakul for sure. And I actually talked about this with NASCAR probably like three weeks to a month back now. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, is he on your team, Sky? Mm-hmm. I'm very suspicious that he and I developed the list you guys ended up on, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. And you've got the, the small splash for Scarab God, right? Oh, uh, no, we didn't end up going with this. Really? You didn't end up going with that? Oh, Are you so going to be doing that one? Hell yeah, I am. Oh, I'm really crazy. excited about that list. Uh, one, yeah. one, basically you just splash for Scarab God. That's it. Yes, yeah, so one blue in hollow, deck. and that's the only one. Yeah. yeah. With all the delve in the deck, I think I'm going to go with uh, two blue sources. But yeah. So any um, new Ixalan cards you're playing out? Any like sneaky little additions you've got that are just something that's not seen much? I'm trying to think here. I can't think of any. Um, oh, we've got a Sorceress Spyglass in the sideboard. Okay, that's fair. And I think we might settle <laughs> on having one Carnage Tyrant in the sideboard as well, not main. That's a good That's a good answer to control. I think the yeah. only main deck thing that I'm really taking advantage of is that Planeswalker Uniqueness Role Change means that I'm running, personally, three Liliana the Last Hope, two Liliana's Death Majesty, and that just feels that's pretty great. Cool. Yeah, they, they work really well together because they both want stuff in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I dig it. They both make zombies. They pair really well with Kalidus in general. I can see it, for sure. 
So one thing I'm running that I really has just like way overperformed and like the little testing I've done. I've done a lot of testing because I've been very busy mm-hmm. and I haven't really been a part of one of these teams, uh, these testing teams. But one thing I've been testing is Deadeye Tracker. Ooh. And that card Ooh. has been so strong. It didn't make my final version. I tried it out just for use. We were talking about it one time on our podcast, but it didn't make my final 75. It's so good, though. It, it Even just out of the sideboard, I have two of them on my board. Hmm. And it just, the recurrent value, uh, the repeatable uh, graveyard hate. The fact great. that it grows. The fact that it grows uh, can gain you card advantage, filters your draw. Like, there's just so many good things about it. Um, and especially if you're looking at, into a world where Turbo Delirium it, or Turbo Emrakul is going to be a deck, it seems really good to me. Really good. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see it. I really like that choice. I think one place where it's kind of scared me playing it is that, you know, you've got a 2-2 tracker and they attack with a 2-2 into you. Do you well, your pump? You're playing it sideboard, right? So you're not bringing it into matchups where you have to block the 2-2. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a little bit... I've tested it. It's powerful. I've got a lot of other grindy options, so I ended up taking it out of my list, but I'm glad to hear that it's working for you. We might do some last-minute testing with it, for sure. I think it's a perfect sideboard card. So, Sky, you're not supposed to steal my tech. (laughs) That's against the rules. You know, Sky, if you're trying to steal my tech, Doomfall is something that I was really doubtful of, ended up trying it, and now I've got two main deck in my list. That's really can't, interesting. We talked about it, but can't yeah. be correct. Can't be. <laughs> can't be. You know, Unpossible. The, the deck, I, I need to not lose to things that go over me with things like Emmercole. So Doomfall really helps with that. It's made my Marvel matchup so much better, which is a deck that I was kind of scared of. And you can't force just, them in, right? You can't force never them to sack Emmercole. Yeah, usually I'll have like some leftover creature after getting Emmercole out. Something like a Goblin Dark Dwellers there, Anishkana. So. Well, the ideal, ideally, you'd grab it before they play it, which duress doesn't do. Which um, I don't love playing uh, the transgress the mind. And one thing I've actually been playing with in this deck is instead of running the uh, what's it called, walking ballista, I've been actually testing yeah. out hollow one. Ooh, that's really cool. And its only purpose is you just cycle it, right? Because you just want that artifact creature in your graveyard, and it just mm-hmm. draws you a card. I think. In a blue-black control world, it's the better choice. Uh, I think it's it's like you brought in um, Walking Ballista mostly to have to kind of hedge against Sahili, and you know every now and then you'd kill some tokens with it versus Tarka Red. But I think your better bet is is kind of leaning onto your board wipes and Liliana uh, and your uh, Ishkana kind of thing. I, I, I don't think you need it to deal with the aggro decks. I think it was mostly there because it was so good against Sahili. Okay. So I, I'm, I've been really liking the uh, hollow one instead in, in that slot instead. I can dig it, for sure, because it gives you card advantage, or virtual card advantage. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it doesn't... It, doesn't, it, it gives you the uh, graveyard, or the delirium kind of hit you're looking for, without being card disadvantage, right? Because there was a lot of times where you would just sacrifice your walking ballista just to get it into the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's really interesting that all three of us landed on Jund. I've just got to say that, that like, after playing in the metagame, that Jund ended up being a deck that was really, really good. And I think it does make a lot of sense. It's just that 
most of the time the three of us wouldn't agree on the right list to run in a tournament. And here we are and we're all running Jund. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We are not on the same list. No, we That's for certain. Did you did you see Fink's list? And I perused it. The number of one ofs. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm being a little silly here. The part I agree with is Emrakul, right? The Turbo <laughs> Emrakul. That's yeah, most definitely. That's yeah. that's the part of this deck that's important. Okay. Uh, and the reason we're not Saltai is is because Torrential Gear Hulk costs one more mana than than Goblin, Goblin Dark Rollers, and Goblin Dark Rollers can hit uh, Traverse the Oldenwald, while Torrential Gear Hulk can't. Correct. So th- that's the only reason we're not Saltai. I think blue. Like, Salti colors are stronger otherwise. Like, if we had a slightly slower meta, Salti would probably be a little better. Well, yeah, sense. most definitely. All right, so I did say that I was going to talk about some other decks, but I think that we're already kind of running towards our time. So you know what? Next week, we'll kind of come back to this topic. We've all done a lot of testing. We can talk about some other decks we liked. We'll also get a chance to see at what the initial metagame looks like then. So I think that'll be a better way to kind of look at things. The one thing I got to say it is that, Matt, a couple weeks ago, you asked me, Anointed Procession. How many tokens do you need to get out of that card for it to be better than just jamming Gideon on four? And I can tell you that card has potential. I am scared if somebody's running a token deck this this season. Yeah, but what happens if you run Hissing Miasma, you know, just like out of the board? You mean um Virulent Plague? Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's the one. What's Hissing yeah. Miasma do? Um that's an older card. Uh I ignore that then. I'm I'm misremembering <laughs> the card name. But like there's or like board wipes, right? You just lose so hard to a board wipe. I don't know. I'm not impressed with it, especially over just Gideon, you know? I mean, a two black one. Whenever a creature attacks you, its controller loses one life. I think that's from uh, Guild Pack. Oh, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's not <laughs> what I was... I would not run that. All right. I will not run that card in my Frontier deck. Virulent Plague, though. Virulent Plague. Like, I mean, I guess probably not a lot of people are running it right now, which is fair. Yeah, certainly. But I also think there's enough board wipes in the format, and... Four mana, like you're still just as likely to get countered out by blue-black control. So it's it's a lot to lean on. And then unlike Gideon, who drops a 2-2 when you play him to defend himself or defend your life total, right? Anointed Procession mm-hmm. just does nothing that turn. So you're just like, turn four, you play it, and you're like, all right. Dude, Sometimes that's have your way with, with me. The, uh, with the... Um, <laughs> what is that card? The, uh, the one white, one black card. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hidden Stockpile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one, so you can play the Anointed Procession, having broke a fetch land that turn, get two guys right away, and then then you're kind of getting your worth for it. I mean, I guess that's that, that's still only okay, though, you know? Like, I'm not... I'm not If you want to be a token deck and, like, be a fast... Like, because token decks kind of have to be lean on the going wide, really fast aggro style, I think, because they're not going to outgrind the control decks and like the decks that just have board wipes so they they kind of by nature have to be fast let's just hit them decks and i don't think a four drop that does nothing has a place in that style of deck all right we'll table the discussion i've definitely got a list i'd like you guys to look over but we'll uh we'll make that something we want to look at next week yeah so, most definitely so next week just going to be like <laughs> let's pick apart finks finks brews Yo, don't even get me started on how good uh Starfield is right now. Nobody's gotten champion removal anywhere. Actually I think that's I think that's true. I think Starfield's actually pretty good. Yeah, and there's some sweet you know, you like cycle that uh lay claim, then bring it back. Okay, but um let's wrap up today's show. So current events, 
the uh, event in Toronto. This might come out right before that, but we hope you were there. If otherwise, we'll keep you updated on when the next one of those is going to run. The uh, UOL Season 2, you're going to be too late to uh, sign up for it if you're just listening now, but make sure to follow us. We've been having weekly streams, and that's been a lot of fun. There have been some great games playing, and I think the finals are still on their way out here. Correct. So uh, that, that's what we'll probably go with for our next cast. We've already talked about that. But uh, please feel free to contact us if you've got anything Frontier-related you want to hear. So we're at MTG Frontier on Twitter, MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram, and we've got our Reddit, MTG Final Frontier. You can also find our Discord information there. So one last reminder to uh, Frontier lovers out there, check in every week and you can hear what's new, powerful, and interesting in Frontier. I'm really happy to be back, and thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'm, I'm grateful for all of you. Look forward to jamming some games with you. Likewise. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, it's been a blast. All right. We look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier information online. Your final Frontier. Signing out. Do, 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 do.